Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello everyone. This is your Wicked Green Energy Lady calling you from um, beautiful Cape Cod. We have 70 degrees today. Um, and today, we, one of the, one of the um, items that I mentioned and when I came back onto the show again was um, disruptive in- energy um, innovations. Now, this phrase, disruptive innovation, was first coined by a Harvard professor by the name of Clayton M. Christensen in his book, The Innovator's Dilemma, published in 1997. The definition of it is that innovation transforms an existing market or sector by introducing things like simplicity, convenience, accessibility, um, and where where complications, complex things, and uh, and costs were the normal uh, being or status quo. So as we look at this, it's not um, a disruption isn't isn't a negative word. It's rather looked upon as an opportunity for improvement and cost savings. So. In terms of electricity, as you know, electricity today isn't what our grandparents' electricity was, or, e- or even our parents' for that matter. Um, although the utilities have been around a hundred years anyway, few of their business models have changed in that amount of time. But this disruption is here, and it's accelerating, and hopefully it will make things better for us uh, across the board, both in terms of efficiency and uh, renewable and sustainability. So let me review some of the big changes. Most of them you know already, but uh, we, can, um, we can repeat them again, make sure that we all understand them. Um, all right, first on the list is what I constantly talk about is um, electric power generated from clean, renewable sources. Uh, and I'll go into some of these things, some um, dates and statistics down the road. This one is very good. It's very cool. It's deter- the developing power delivery that's integrated to the customer's specific electricity needs. And this goes even to the most into re- the remotest places uh, on Earth. Uh, third, it's a focus on energy efficiency and using less energy. And fourth, we need to be conscious of the energy in- inequities that that exist in in, in our country as well as uh, abroad. Um, both in terms of access to renewables and who has suffered more energy pollution. One example is um, uh, Microsoft. Now, uh, this this I didn't know, and it's quite compelling. Not, Microsoft uses as much energy as the state of Alaska, and within decades will be using as much energy as a country. So, because of this, 
Microsoft has decided that it has a responsibility to be at the table determining the globe's energy future, even though it already gets 40% of its power from renewables. So Microsoft is, uh, is, is ahead of the game. And fortunately, since they're using 40%, they're, um, they're mindful of the, of the sustainability of our planet, and they would be a good uh, partner to have as we go forward with this. The other partner, and I did mention this before, is the U.S. Department of Energy, which is investing $2 billion annually in clean energy innovation. And that's more, far more than any other investor in the world on, again, energy innovation. With this investment, they're producing an average of 20% annual return on investment for taxpayers. Now, I know I've mentioned this before, but the transformation to clean energy is a multi-trillion dollar business opportunity. Just ask Bill Gates, just ask Warren Buffett. Um, And it will also be not only a multi-trillion business opportunity, but it will be a multi-billion, multi-trillion, sorry, investment opportunity. And this is according to the Department of of, um, Energy's Assistant Secretary, David Friedman. Now, to me... That should get us all on the bandwagon to invest. We could make some cool money based based on the investments alone. So the question is, do you want a piece of the pie? You can make a choice to invest in the future uh, of the the clean energy revolution, and this is a revolution, believe me. And what's going to be happening, though, is that the companies are going to be making more money off the solutions to the problem than the problems. This, that is quite a a new way of looking at things. Uh, Hopefully more people will get on the bandwagon. Um, There are, so according to the DOE, we've got some uh, more statistics of disruption that have been underway since 2008. Uh, wind power generation has tripled to 70 gigawatts across the U.S., and its, while its cost has fallen 40%. Solar deployment has grown 20-fold, while its price has fallen 60%. LED lights, you know, LED lights have been around, and we just take them for granted these days. They've been around um, uh with the fact that 200 million LED lights have been sold in the U.S. And since then, there's been a reduction since 08 of 90%. Electric cars, they're pricier than regular cars so far still, um, but they're projecting that they'll be uh, in in excess of 500,000 electric cars on the road. Storage batteries, which I will talk about. I'll explain a little bit what they are, but uh, the grids use them. Um, the storage battery prices have fallen 70% since they first went on the market. So 
As we know, wind power is making coal, nuclear, and petroleum-based plants too costly to run. Now, we've got that indication of, uh, of the um, Pilgrim Power Plant over here that required $70 million in order to stay open until 2019, which we still can't figure out why that's happening. But anyway, solar at, uh, is unsubsidized solar is at $0.03 cents a kilowatt hour. And obviously, solar is just um, uh, taking over the market. So what I have to say is I want those political politicos out there to, to, to listen up. Whether you believe in climate change or not, the reality out there is that renewable energy is here and it is the wave of the future. As a colleague of mine says, if it's not green, it doesn't belong in the future. But having said that, there are still arguments against any uh, these energy disruptors, such as um, you know, such as uh, renewable energy. We're often told that coal and nuclear can keep the power on 24/7 because they're the only reliable energy source. Now, I don't know what some of these people consider reliable, but uh, if we've got a, uh, power plants that are blowing up and coal industry that um, that it's, uh, at, some, at some point will be, be depleted. But the grid, when it was built so many years ago, 100 years ago, it is not a grid that generates 24-7. And a perfect example is when, um, if you remember the blackout in New York or over the whole, whole eastern seaboard, things break. So the grid manages these periods of their, of non-working um, plants with working plants. So that's a reason for the renewables to come onto the grid. And the electric companies understand that they are in the in the midst of a of a of a big change, and that they have to diversify the grid with different renewables so that you do have a 24-7 electric grid or grid, I should say. A um, NRG Energy's Rob Gaudet, who's a senior vice president, um, said his industry used to be in the business of making kilowatt hours of electricity power, electric power. You turn the lights on and then you pay for it, pay us. Traditionally, we haven't had much say in the price of that kilowatt hour or how it was delivered. If you if you remember ooh, two years ago when those uh, the the kilowatt hours went up fifty percent, it was it was incredible, incredible rather. But according to Mr. Godet, it's changed, and so have the utilities' approach to the to the customers. So. Instead of just saying you got to pay what what you got to pay, they're looking at discussing what the customer wants instead of saying I have this and you got to take it. They're starting with with the customer's goals, what you're trying to do in five years and ten years. It's a business plan, 
um, what are your particular circumstances? What they're doing is building relationships, how each individual or each company uses electricity because you know you have to you have to be aware a hospital's needs is very very different than a factory's needs so it's it's all about knowing who your commercial customers are and of course the residential ones i think the commercial will probably be uh, the, the first ones to to uh benefit from this um so it's knowing what they what these commercial customers could forego the that they could forego the electric the electric utility altogether and do its own power generation or they can enter a power purchase agreement with a solar farm or wind farm wind company so there are uh, there are different avenues that we can take for our energy and our electricity and it's a matter of the uh, the electric companies to really understand that and work with us on that Okay, the, the opportunities, opportunities exist for almost every player in the electric power world. The problem is they don't see them. They, they, they can't see them for the forest. They the, can't see the forest for the trees. One, one question came up. Um, why are not electric companies looking to sell electric cars? I mean, they, they go hand in hand. Um they can uh, um, cars, electric vehicles can can double as energy storage because of their batteries. The fact that the battery is worth three times more to the utility company than to the customer really seems lost on the electric industry, and and it's a and it's a factor of status quo as opposed to growing your company. So it's it's a matter of these um, uh, the companies you know, understanding that we need new systems here, and they can be on the bottom on the bottom rung of producing or developing those new systems for us. You know, it's a, I don't think it takes a brain surgeon to understand that. Now, as renewable energy comes into the mainstream, I have to say it is in the mainstream to a certain degree, not quite. There are efforts underway to correct the energy and pollution inequities that persist. Usually, coal plants, for example, are situated in lower-income neighborhoods. Now, think of West Virginia and the Appalachians. That's where you find them. That means that the pollution of coal emissions hits disproportionately. They're going to get the, the brunt of it, and we are not. Solar, for all its promises, it's a harder acquisition for low-income households because of upfront costs or leasing criteria. You know, you still have to go through um, a vetting process, if you will, credit checks and this and that, and the low-income households just don't even have that. But in response to that for the solar, there are things like community solar programs, in which entire neighborhoods, or maybe uh, the, all the occupants of, a, of an apartment building, share in the cost of installing a solar array. That means, and obviously they don't. Have, it's a solar array. They, they're getting their own energy. They don't have to. They don't have to purchase solar at all. 
So, um, again, change is a coming. How soon is, is, is the question. But for a moment, let's go back in history. Okay, let's go back in history. We, you know, I'm trying to find some uh, some good information. Uh, sometimes you have to go back a couple of years, and this particular report that I, I unearthed is from 2013. So I've tried to bring it up to um, up to um, up to up to today, so that we can look at exactly what's going on. I'm sorry if uh, if you're listening. I think I've got a problem with my um, my show here. Um, no, okay. I'm hoping you I'm hoping you're listening to me. <laughs> okay. So we've come up, or this this individual came up with ten disruptive technologies. We're approaching a tipping point in the development of energy technologies um, that, could, that could generate increases in energy production not on a scale that has not been seen since the Industrial Revolution. So uh, some of the things include unconventional gas, electric vehicles, solar, lighting, LEDs. Um, and the funny thing is, although we're seeing them, a lot of um, a lot of uh, people watching these technologies really don't get it. They don't even see that they're coming or that they are here. So technology advances. Technology itself advances incrementally for long periods of time without substantially affecting established players. So history shows that innovations in technology can cause dramatic increases in productivity. That means transforming industries and setting whole societies on new paths to growth. So some of the things that um, he talked about um, would be the... (laughs) Again, I'm 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 sorry. I'm going to I'm going to go on a, um, a, um, silent here a minute while I'm trying to figure out what's happening with my show. Hold on a second. No, it's working. Never mind. Never mind. I'm back. <laughs> okay. So in the states, we've got five technologies that not, not technologies that have the power or have the potential to become or have become. Um, necessary to, which and affects energy. I said that wrong. Five technologies that have already begun or will begin, uh, which will affect energy. Okay. Not all technologies come to fruition, but the ones that have the most um, uh, basis do. So, 
the uh, what I mentioned again is the um, natural natural gas production, electric cars, internal combustion engines, solar LED lightings, grid scale storage, digital power conversion, compressor less air conditioning, and ele- electrochromic windows, clean coal, biofuels, and electrofuels. Okay, so these these are the things that are being studied right now. Um, to a, de- to a degree, some more than others, obviously. The widespread adoption of any of these, and let's take solar and wind, for example, could save customers hundreds of billions of dollars annually and help countries achieve economic growth without degrading the environment. I mean, this is really, really important, and I know a lot of us out there say, oh, I'm not going to be around long enough to see these changes, so I don't think I need to do anything about it. If they're if they become commonplace, everyday part of your life, don't you don't you see that you'll be saving some money? I mean, a five bucks extra in your in your pocket a week, I think, is something. It's not a lot, but I'd rather have it in my pocket than in somebody else's, wouldn't you? All right, enough. Okay, let's let me just talk about a, a couple of these things. Unconventional gas. Now, unconventional gas is what they called it back in the 80s. Um when they were on these uh, these uh, methods were were um, um identified, but they started they started in in the 2000s. We're talking about fracking. Now, We've talked about this being both good and bad in the past. Um, the fracking is great. It gets us natural gas. It's cheaper than oil. But fracking also hurts the environment, as we've seen with multiple uh, earthquakes, uh, sinkholes, and all that. So hopefully they're going to be looking into a different way. Technology, hopefully out there, will... Determine a different way of how we can get the gas out of our, out of the ground without fracking.